Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. Someone once asked the evangelist Billy Sunday whether his revivals lasted. He replied, no, but neither does a bath. But it's good to have one occasionally. We've talked over the last couple of weeks about this word revival, awakening, outpouring, the heart for us to see God do again what He has done in history. So what I thought would be a great thing to do to kick off this morning is just give us a little bit of framework around what does this actually look like according to historians and and, uh, historical figures of what they've spoken about what revival was like. Let me quote J.I. Packer, he said this, Revival is God's quickening visitation of His people, touching their hearts and deepening His work of grace in their lives. Robert Baird put it like this, it's an extraordinary season of religious interest. Charles Finney, who himself saw over 500,000 people come to Christ in his years of preaching, said this, it's the return of the church from her backslidings and the conversion of sinners. Or Duncan Campbell, this is my favourite, Duncan Campbell, a Scottish evangelist who was used in the uh, mid-20th century in the Hebrides revival, said this, revival is simply a community saturated with God. I've got a diagram here on the workings of revival. And we will see that right from the outset, nothing happens on the external without something first happening internally. A renewal is when God touches the heart of an individual. And it's what I believe today, 2024, God is wooing and God is drawing close to do this again. Very little starts outside these four walls without it first starting inside one or two people inside the four walls. God's never needed a lot of people. So crowds don't determine whether God comes. But what He's looking for is a dry patch of timber that He can throw a match upon and ignite the hearts of one person, two people, three people. When a renewal takes place inside our hearts, it then becomes a revival. A revival is when God touches a community of faith. So suddenly it's not just the one or two, it is a Elevation Church Hills that has come alive with a spirit of revival where people, they may not know what's going on, but they just can't wait to be a part of it because something is happening. Then after the revival comes the awakening and this is when the wider society is impacted. A great example of this is from Evan Roberts in the Welsh Awakening, 1904 and 1905, over 100,000 people in that time gave their heart to Christ. And what were the results of this awakening? Well, during the time of this revival, the police were left with virtually nothing to do and the courts were all empty. Saloons and bars shut down for a lack of business. Public drunkenness was almost non-existent. Old debts, many long forgotten, were paid off in full. Travelling theatrical agencies cancelled their engagements as everyone was in church. Profanity disappeared. It was said that the horses and mules everywhere were in complete confusion. 
they had become so accustomed to responding to their master's profane shouts and kicks and cursing, they no longer understood them. (laughs) Virtually all of which had disappeared. But to be honest, it's mostly unlikely that we'll ever see an awakening without first a renewal in the hearts of you and I. Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 2 says it like this. In a time of deep decline, this is what Habakkuk prophesies. I have heard all about you, Lord. I am filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. I think we'd all be in agreement here that we are in a time of deep need in this nation. And Habakkuk is reminded to cry out and say, God, help us again as you did in years gone by. Satan's plan for your life and for my life is not for you to to deconstruct your faith and write a blog about it. His plan for you and I is to have an apathetic faith and not even worry about it. And I believe that at this time that God is wanting to renew, He's wanting to awaken us because every natural strategy that you currently have to live for Jesus is insufficient in this cultural moment. And that's why right now across Australia, we have churches that feel like they're on autopilot kind of like just going through the motions. We have Christians attending those churches, just going through the motions, all knowing that there's surely got to be more to this walk following Jesus. But it's like no one's willing to dip their toe in the water and go, God, we'll take a plunge here. And God's always looked for a people. In the book of Matthew chapter 17, and also it mentions this story in Mark chapter 9, We read when Jesus is coming down from what is called in Scripture, the Mount of Transfiguration. He encounters His disciples and they are in a a theological standoff with the Pharisees who were the religious leaders of that time. And the standoff is over the disciples' inability to cast a demon out of a young man. And I find it intriguing because anytime the church has lacked power, it always defaults back to theological debates. And in Matthew chapter 17, verse 14, it says this, And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, and I want you to feel the pain of a dad here. Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers severely. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Wouldn't it be terrible? People looking for an answer to mental illness. People looking for an answer for cancer. We've heard stories this morning that they stop bringing people to the church because they no longer believe that the church has a place where this sort of power can be presented. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? And how long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. 
Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. However, in verse 21, the New King James, it says this, However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Moment of honesty. What we see in the church today is not normal. I don't think that this is what Jesus had in mind. When He said, I'm going to come back for a church that's without spot, without blemish. I'm pretty sure He didn't see us making a run sheet, the epicentre of all we do. And a staff that have to work so hard to keep church people in church. No matter what we offer, free coffees, free chicken drumsticks, it doesn't seem to work. And I don't know where you're from. I know probably 50% of you. The other 50%, I'm so glad to see you and I hope you're glad for being here. But no doubt as we sang this morning and the team led us off with great awakening, no doubt within your heart, you've thought, heard it all before. And Jesus comes to this moment where His team around Him are struggling. The disciples had been commissioned to lay hands on the sick and cast out demons. And now they encountered something that they just couldn't move. It was bigger than their faith. There was an evil oppression that had come against this young man. And no matter what they seemed to throw at it, it didn't move. And Jesus comes in and goes, the issue is not the demon, the issue is the unbelief. Now here's the thing, this is not a critique of where I am not a, hey, if you just have more faith, everything's gonna be perfect guy. And that's actually not what Jesus is talking about. This is what He's addressing. He's addressing the cynicism that had crept into the disciples' heart and to the people's hearts who were watching. The familiarity that was in their hearts. And you know what cynicism does? Cynicism causes us to shrink back from the dance floor and critique the moves of all the other people on the dance floor. And if there was something that I believe God is wanting to purge from His church today, it's a cynical heart. And for some of us, rightly so. You've seen a lot, been hurt by a lot, but somehow we've got to still believe that God is wooing His church back. He hasn't washed His hands and given up on us. And I still believe today the Holy Spirit comes to every gathering of faith and dips His toe in the water and goes, am I welcome here? Author Paulie Miller said this, surveys were done on people's personal prayer life. And what they discovered was this, about 15% of Christians in a typical church have a rich prayer life. 
So when someone says, I'll keep you in my prayers, 85% of the time, they're just making it up. Prayerlessness is the new atheism. The early church was birthed with people in the upper room agonising in prayer. And now we find ourselves in boardrooms and cafes organising our plans. And Jesus comes across this young man with a demon and He says, this kind, this kind of demonic opposition doesn't move because we sing a few songs, attend on a Sunday, give a little bit of money here and there. This kind come out with two disciplines, prayer and fasting. And I don't think it is a mistake or a coincidence that it is a young person that is bound by this Spirit. Because right now today, folks, in 2024, we have a generation of young people who cannot see the promises of God, the light of Christ, because of the blindness that the enemy has thrown against this generation. And like this father, who comes and throws himself down to the feet of Jesus. God is looking for a generation of mums and dads in the faith who know what it is to pray and to fast for another generation. And that is why for you and I, it is imperative that we allow our hearts to be open and for God to invade our hearts because another generation is relying on you and I to stand in the gap and to pray. This is why prayerlessness has come against the church. This is why it's easy to go through our Christian experience with a few low-level mutterings to God, but no longer a sense of burden to pray, where the prayer of the church becomes a part of everything else that happens and no longer the central cause and the spark of the engine that makes us operate. And is it any wonder that we live at a time where we are seeing God pull the doona off prayerlessness and what happens when prayer is sidelined in churches is what we see today. Because prayer is a ministry from our heart. And you and I struggle to pray when our heart is contaminated. And Jesus said, you wanna stand against this kind of evil, you've gotta get yourself into a place of prayer and fasting. A church that gets this, let me tell you, you will set a city on fire. New church models with cool names won't be enough. Celebrity pastors won't be enough. Better programs. Larger churches don't guarantee it. Another conference doesn't mean it'll happen. But the prayer life is needed much more than buildings or organisations. And these are often a substitute for the other. Souls are born into the Kingdom of God only through prayer.
got a couple of minutes. Can I do something with you? Everyone that's under the age of 35, put your hand up. Under the age of 35. If, if you can't remember, we'll talk about that later. Okay. Under 35, stand up. Under 35s. Look at them all. Everyone that is believing God for someone under the age of 35, it could be a son, it could be a daughter, relative, work colleague, stand up. Okay, we're probably talking 80% of the church. Kathy and I know what it's like to pray and fast for someone under that, in that age bracket, year after year after year. Can I encourage you, don't give up. Where the cynicism wants to come in and the unbelief wants to come in and go, is this really working? Is this really worth it? Look, they're getting worse. Sometimes you've got to dig through so much bad news until you find the good news. This is what I want to do, just for a moment. I've got the musos up to help me here because I really felt prophetically, I want to take a minute of prayer right now. And I know, and you may say, well, God, Ross, I don't have a, a rich prayer life. That's okay. Hopefully you're surrounded by people who do. And I want this morning to, for you to allow God to get a hold of your heart in this. No more just head prayers, a heart prayer. Some of you are praying for young people that are bound in addiction, your kid. Some are bound in a bad relationship. Some are just bound with mental challenges and some are bound in sickness and disease. God is looking for a people that will stand in the gap against that kind of evil. He needs a generation like the one that's represented right here. So I'm gonna get the musos just to play with me. I want you to lift your hands, your heart to heaven. And if you're married and you're praying for one of your kids, grab your spouse's hand if they're here. And I want your prayers to begin to rise right now. Please allow it to be audible to the God of heaven. I want us to pray for the rest of us, for every person represented here under the age of 35. I want you to reach your hand out toward them this morning because there is a demonic onslaught over this next generation. And God is looking for a people who will pray, who will fast, who will stand in the gap. So Father, this morning, we lift our hands and our hearts this morning. Father, we pray for the people represented here under the age of 35. Father, we ask for a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon them. Father, that revelation and wisdom in these days of darkness would be upon them. We pray that You strengthen their faith. Father, strengthen their faith, we pray. Father, we pray for the sons and the daughters who are no longer walking for You, the prodigals. Father, we cry out this morning for every prodigal daughter, every prodigal son. Father, that by Your grace, that You would wash them in an ocean of grace, we pray this morning. Father, we bind every bit of pride and defiance in their heart. But Lord, they will surrender their heart. They will kneel their, their knee to You. Father, they will give their lives to Jesus. There will be radical salvations, radical turnarounds, radical miracles, we pray. So Father, let this church be alive in the presence of God.
God. Father, let it be a place where we believe, that we believe that the Spirit of God is working through and amongst us, we pray. So Father, we thank You for it. In the mighty Name of Jesus. before we grab a seat. There's a shout in this place. In the mighty name of Jesus. One, two, on the count of three. I I want you just to give a shout. It may be a clap. I want you to seal what you've just prayed because straight away cynicism, unbelief, it's it's tapping on your shoulder. It's hanging around in the atmosphere. So on the count of three, I just want you to give a praise offering to Jesus this morning. One, two, three. Come on, come on, come on this morning to say, God, let it be done. Let it be done. Let it be, let it be, let it be, let it be. Let it be this morning, Lord. Let it be this morning, Lord. Grab a seat. Thanks, guys. You can stay. We're almost done. I've hardly started, but we're almost done. So what do we do? Do we just keep doing what we've always done? Do we bury our heads and hope things will change? Do we keep playing musical churches and enjoy the multitude of travelling Christians who uproot and move on when they're offended or when something seemingly better comes along? Or is there a group of people need not be large who are so hungry for God to come that they'll orient their whole life and existence around that hunger Book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 12, Joel prophesies, and it's God speaking through him. Joel again prophesied at a time of deep decline, deep decline. And he says this, Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all of your hearts, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And He relents over disaster. For time's sake, let me skip through some stuff, but Joel gives us three things. He says, come back to God with fasting. I know today marks the end of the prayer and fasting, but my plea to you would be if we want to be a this kind of Christian that can stand against the demonic onslaught on against Christianity prayer and fasting needs to be a lifestyle not something we do at the beginning of the year to be cool like every other denomination around the world but something that is embedded deep within us prayer and fasting is defined as voluntarily going without food in order to focus and rely on God for strength, provision and wisdom. Taking our eyes off the things of this world and focusing our thoughts on God. Listen, social media fasting is great, but it's not biblical fasting. I think it's a fruit of biblical fasting. So do it. But if you wanna see God accelerate in your life, the work that He is doing, then fasting is probably the best way. Fasting makes you hungry, obviously, makes you raw. It delivers us from that political spirit, the networking spirit, the man-pleasing spirit, the marketing spirit. 
Fasting awakens the primal cry for God alone. Fasting weakens your resistance to truth so that the Word of God goes from a tapping hammer to a sledgehammer. Fasting increases your interior capacity to receive the love of God. Fasting makes you tender and vulnerable to God in a way that you've never seen before. Fasting isn't the goal. Intimacy with Christ is the goal. And God will pass over a hundred, hear me, God will pass over a hundred sleepy Sydney churches and touch the one that's hungry. He will pass over a hundred, a thousand sleepy Christians and touch the one heart that's crying out to Him. Why not now? Is that what you got written on your guitar? Why not now? That's great. So here's my encouragement, our challenge. Find those places that used to be alive in your heart and allow the Holy Spirit to plough up the hard soil. Give that space back to God. Been hurt in the church? Identify it. Give the space back to God. Used to love prayer, don't anymore. Identify it, give the space back to God and say, come Holy Spirit. Second thing that God tells Joel to prophesy this is weeping or what I call tears. Psalm 126 verse 4, Restore our fortunes, Lord, as streams renew the desert. Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They will weep as they go and plant their seed, but they will sing as they return with the harvest. The promise here is that the greatest weepers are going to be the greatest reapers. The psalmist encourages us that our tears are seeds. Your tears are liquid prayers. The tears you're sowing in this season will come forth in joy in the next season. Tears come when you run out of options. They're an expression of a soul that's on the other side of words. Tears articulate the depth of our souls crying out to God. I want You, Lord. I want You to come down. I want You to break through my family. I want You to break through my marriage and my children in my life and in my nation. This is revival praying. It's not about the eloquence of our articulation or how theologically correct my prayers are but it's about the depth of my soul reaching out to God with a great desire for Him to move on my behalf. To be honest, we've gone way too long with too many dry-eyed, clean-cut, polished, articulate and attractive preachers. They say all the right words, they have all the perfect sermons, but where are their tears? Every person that I know that's a preacher that would ask of me what's needed today, I would say that in the pulpit. Pastors who lead with a brokenness in their own heart of their necessity for God. And the last thing that Joel says is mourning. Jocelyn mentioned it. In an earthly sense, the mourning that happens when we grieve. But when Joel calls us back with weeping, fasting and mourning, it wasn't a worldly sorrow. It was a grief over how far we've drifted. It was a heart that said, God, I used to be alive. I used to love this, but now everything's a chore. 
I used to love reading Scripture. Now it's like eating a box of dried wheat picks. It's, it's, everything's just hard. I used to love coming to a prayer meeting. Now I could think of nothing worse. I used to love worshipping. But now it's just like hands in pockets, coffee in the hand, and I kind of just get mutter a few karaoke words back. God, how far I've drifted. As the leader of this denomination, we're at a gathering last year in July. And God arrested my heart because Kathy and I went into that conference. And in the back of my head, I'm going, God, I don't know how much longer I want to do this. Leading a denomination, it gets political, it gets, you know, all that sort of stuff. And I don't know, I, I don't want to do this. So already thinking exit strategy and come to a conference and God arrested my heart and I spent the first day and a half sucking the carpet, getting my heart right as God burdened me again to say, Ross, I'm not done with you yet, but I can't get to you while there's this cluttering in your heart when you're more excited about the next season of Yellowstone than you are about worship with me. That's honest. When you spend more time trying to think through your plans and how to to deal with the political outfall in your denomination, then you are in prayerfulness with a hunger and a longing for me. And for me personally, it was a moment of a visitation from God that has set a new fire in my heart and brought alive a renewal in me. And if it happens nowhere else, I know I have come alive in my heart again to the promises of God. And let me close with this, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Frank Bartleman, a member and part of the Azusa Street Revival said this, the depth of any revival will be determined exactly by the spirit of repentance that is obtained. In fact, this is key to every true revival born of God. So what does Joel say? You wanna get things right, come back with fasting, come back with some tears and come back with a brokenness on how far we've drifted. So here's the challenge this morning as we wrap up. Find the places of your heart that used to be alive. Say, Holy Spirit, it's gonna be a bold prayer. Holy Spirit, here it is. Would you come again and plough up the hardness in my heart? Because I'm not done yet. And I believe this morning, in particular in the area of prayerlessness, that God wants to minister to people. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm going to hand back, I believe to Ben, and Ben will do what Ben needs to do at the end of a service. But this is what I want to do. I want to personally pray for 
any person this morning that says, Ross, I'm, I, my heart is hard in the area of prayer. And I wanna pray for an impartation of the Holy Spirit this morning. That something from heaven is going to ignite and it won't ignite without first an emptying. And I pray that when you leave this place today, that God hunts you down, that He is on your case, that you get no sleep and you wrestle with God over this for our hearts to be right again. And then allow the infilling of the Holy Spirit to come in a fresh way and let a fire start in our hearts, a renewal start in the heart of this church. And who knows what could happen to this city of Sydney. So Father, this morning, I thank You. And Lord, I pray for every person here. You know our lives, You know where we're at, You know our hearts. Help us today, I pray. In Jesus' Name.